You're listening to audio from Covenant Church. Visit covenantdoylestown.org to connect with our ministry. Well, good morning, church. How you guys doing? Ah, what a beautiful morning to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I, I am so excited to, uh, to preach the word as I always am. I always say that, but it's not just words. I, I truly am excited as the Lord has been stirring this uh, message on my heart this week and as I heard Steve preach last week. And how many of you have been uh, just reading the book of Ruth anyway, just rereading this amazing book? It's such a beautiful book, um, such a powerful book. and. Um, And yeah, I hope this morning that the Lord just really, really speaks to us. Last week, Steve kicked off this uh, book and asking a question, what is your story? Um, He asked, hey, we all have a story, each and every one of us. And um, he pointed out, I love how he pointed out how um, Naomi and and her husband, they, they moved from the land of promise to the land of compromise. That stuck with me all week as I saw what happened in the land of compromise, but then the chapter ends with them going back to the land of promise. And we see these two women, Ruth and Naomi, at the end of chapter one, they return and Naomi says she returned, turned empty. She, she said, no, don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter, call me Mara. And she changed her name. We see and catch up with these women in the midst of devastating grief and hardship at the end of chapter two. And there's a verse in chapter one, uh, 116, where Ruth makes this promise, she makes this covenant with uh, Naomi, but not only with her, she makes this covenant that that her God will be her God. That she, she has this conversion from whatever she was following the gods of the Moabites, and she says, no, I'm gonna turn and follow you and I'm going to be with you. I, we have this verse in my house. We have this verse above our, our bed in our bedroom. And I don't know why. Maybe it's the line, your people will be my people. And my wife knew that she was getting into a wild family. So she just needs to remind herself, his people are my people. But this is such a powerful proclamation. And so this, this morning, uh, we catch up because we need to be reminded that Ruth, it, it is a conversion story. That Ruth is now following this God that Naomi follows. And so we catch up with this in Ruth chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there. We're going to read this whole chapter. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. 
She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing of one of your servants. At, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her, for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she, she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had, she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she, had left, what she had left over after she had eaten. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvesters were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that this morning we can meditate on it, Lord. Every single word, every single word matters, Lord. So I pray this morning, Lord, as you've already spoken to our hearts through your word, that you would continue to be the loudest voice in this room. Speak to us, Lord. We are listening. Amen. Amen. A long passage of scripture, but you know, I'm reminded that even as I was reading that, you know, in, 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 in the times, in ancient times, they would just read scripture and allow scripture to minister to the people's hearts, to speak to people's hearts, and not the preacher. So this morning, church, and just with the intention of the word of God, just ministering to our hearts as we look at this story, as we look at the things that are in this passage, 
that, 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 are, that are so rich that I will not preach about this morning. If I was to preach about this whole entire chapter, uh, we would be here until 12 o'clock, but I won't do that. I will just focus on three things. God's providence is provision and promise. God's providence, provision, and promise. You know it's a sermon because alliteration is in there. You know it's for real. And I have to keep it at that church because there is so much. I encourage you to go home and dive into this passage of scripture. Go line by line. Dive deep into the word of God and it will bless you. But we start here with God's providence. God's providence, this is how the chapter starts and we see that in verse one. And we see that here the author of Ruth is introducing a man named Boaz. Chapter one ends, these women are in trouble, they're vulnerable, they're back in Bethlehem, but all of a sudden you flip the page, it says there was a man named Boaz. If this was a Hallmark movie, this will be the scene where there's that guy in a small town who's incredibly handsome in a flannel shirt, but also surprisingly single. I live in Doylestown. There are none of those people. They're all gone. All right? I don't know where Hallmark finds them. But this is it. Boaz is there entering the coffee shop. And it sets us up. The author is setting us up saying, take a look at this man. Focus on this man. Something's about to happen. And then it goes back to Ruth and Naomi. And these two women, they are vulnerable. The, last week, um, Steve uh, let us know that this uh, chapter one starts by saying this was in the time of the judges. It sets us up to let us know that this was a wild time. This was a time where if you read Judges, you'll see that it says it was a time where people did what was right in their own eyes. You'll find that line over and over again. It was a wild time. It made women especially vulnerable. It made widows and orphans especially vulnerable. And so it pans back, it pans to Boaz, and it pans back to show us that something is happening. God's providence. I love that in chapter one, Naomi is bitter. She believes that God has abandoned her. But chapter two starts by saying there is something that Naomi doesn't know. God's providence. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficult things, Church, even like Naomi, if you look back at chapter one, where she was trying to fix her own situation, she said, I'm too old to have kids. Even if I found a husband and I had a child like Ruth, would you wait until this child was grown up for you to marry? Like she was trying to fix her own problems with her own strength. But God had another plan. What Naomi didn't know as this book does in chapter two, was that she had a living redeemer. That all hope had seemed lost, but what Naomi didn't know was that her redeemer lives. I wanna encourage you church this morning, because life does beat us up sometimes. That we put ourselves in Naomi and Ruth's shoes, we see that this is a devastating thing. To lose both your sons, to lose your husband, to lose all of that is devastating. 
But there is hope, and hope is that her Redeemer lives. She has a living Redeemer. I want to encourage you this morning, as we, before we even go any further, whatever hopelessness you find yourself in this morning, I want to remind you that you have a living Redeemer. And you might not be able to see the whole span of what's going on in your life right now, how it all plays out. But in God's providence, through Christ, we always have hope because our Redeemer lives. Amen. Amen, church. It's the beauty of the gospel. Right there we find God has already provided. I love that. He guided them back to the land of promise because God was putting them back into the path where they would intersect with hope, where they would find Boaz. We find here as well in verse two, um, that in verse two of, of Ruth chapter two, we see that Naomi has, has, has a thought here. Naomi is like, hey, listen, Ru- hey, hey, Ruth is like this to Naomi. She says, we're not just gonna die. We're not gonna die here. We're not gonna stay here. We're not gonna starve to death. I'm gonna go and I'm, and I'm gonna step out in faith, even though it's dangerous. Remember, this is the time of the judges. It's dangerous out there. It's not, it's not safe for me, but I'm gonna step out in faith and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna take a step of faith. Faith. And we find here that it's that second P word, provision. We find that God's provision meets her where she was at when she goes out into the fields. You see, the author keeps on reminding us that Ruth is a Moabite, that Ruth is a foreigner, that Ruth is an outsider. But there's a reason for that. Because what Ruth is doing here is exactly what those who are vulnerable, those who are poor, those who are orphan, and those who are foreigners are meant to do in a situation like this. Ruth sets out to go and pick up the leftovers because the law commanded that there would be leftovers in the field. We can't fully understand what is happening here unless we understand the welfare system of the time. If you were a landowner or a farmer in those days, you're only allowed to make one pass through your field at harvest time. And whatever you missed, for whatever reason you missed it, you had to leave it behind. You couldn't go back and say, hey, listen, I, I missed something. And, it's, and, and the law also said it commanded people to, to, not, to not harvest on the edges so that there would be provision for those without. That was God's plan for the poor, God's plan for those who would find themselves beaten up by life, those who would have found themselves in a situation where the enemy had turned their lives upside down, that there would be some provision for them in the fields that are owned by those who are harvesting plenty. We find this in Deuteronomy 24 verse 19, it says this, when you're harvesting in your field, and you look over a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. That is the command. I want to pause here for a second, church, so that we can see here that God has a heart for the outsider, that God has a heart for the marginalized, 
that God has made a way for us as Christians, as followers, those who say, I am here, Lord, you are my God and I obey your commands. God has said it in us that we do not, we do not build our lives so that our lives are lived to the edge, so that we have nothing to give. But the Lord has said it in us that everywhere we go, those who love him, those who follow him, that we would understand that some of what we have should not extinguish on us. I love that this is not just an Old Testament concept, but something that Jesus also says. Jesus would say this in Luke 12, 16, 21, as he tells this story about a man who, who, had, a, who had a great harvest and he, he, he thought to himself, let me build bigger barns. Let me store more for myself. And Jesus would let us know in Luke 12, 16 to 21, that this man would lose his life. He wouldn't see all this stuff he had stored up for himself. And it ends with this jarring thing that Jesus says. Jesus looks and he says that, he says this, he says that those who store up for themselves what a, what a waste. Those who, are not, those who are not rich toward God, what a waste. Church, this is a challenge to us this morning. With what we have been given, when we follow Jesus, we believe that all of that has come from him. Everything that has been given to us has come from him by his grace and his grace alone. In this passage, there was a famine, but who caused the famine to stop? God. Who caused those plants to grow in Boaz's field? God. And so in obedience, we say, Lord, everything I have, you have given, you have given to me. I don't, church, I don't care what it is that you do. It is a grace from God that you can do it. If you say you're good at math, not everyone's good at math. It's a grace from God that you're good at math. Whenever I see Joel Embiid on TV, say, I work real hard for everything I got. Like every time he says that, I'm like, Joel, it was a grace from God that you're seven foot. <laughs> yeah, you worked hard, but you had something given to you by God. So it can all extinguish on you. Church, when we truly understand the abundance that God has provided for us, we live and we leave the edges, and we don't turn back, but we have leftovers. I love that in this passage of scripture you see God's provision in Boaz. What an amazing picture of grace. Boaz instructs his, his servants. He says, you know, I love this. Some, some compassion with dignity, I love it. He doesn't just hand out the core. He says, shake the, shake the, you know, shake the little trailer a little bit over here. Just, just shake it up a little bit so that some of, the, some of the sheaves fall so that she can pick them up. Church, sometimes we, we, need to, we need to shake up our own lives so that there is leftovers, that there is something for people that will bless others who follow behind us. I love that picture. And we find here, even in verse 17 and 18, that Ruth doesn't eat all, the, all that she can. She takes something back for Naomi. She says, I have been blessed, but I'm not just thinking about myself. I'm going to bless my mother-in-law as well. 
Now we find something else in here, church, that Naomi takes a step of faith. She just doesn't sit at home. God's provision doesn't come knocking on her door, but we find that there's something here I would like to call motion-activated faith. I like to say that Naomi, Ruth is sitting in the house. She's like, Lord, like she could be going, she could be bitter like Naomi. But Ruth says, I'm going to step out. I'm going to take a motion here. I'm going to step out. And we find here that there's this motion activated faith. And I love that because in the Bible, I see this over and over again. God doesn't need anyone to do anything. And yet he asks them for a motion. And then we find that there's faith and there's something activated in that. Ruth moves, motion activated faith. I, I beg you to go to the giant this afternoon. I love this about being in the, you know, in, in a, living in America, all these awesome, awesome things that you have here. But one of the most fascinating thing, I think for someone landing here, are those doors that open by themselves when you go to the giant. If you go to the giant and you just stand there, you can say, Holy Spirit, activate all you want. Those doors will not open unless you move toward them. They are motion activated. You can stand in a bathroom all you want at the airport, but nothing's going to happen until you move. Motion activated church, the same with our faith. As we take steps toward God, we find God's hand moving. And we find here that Boaz in this story, if it's not already clear to you, is a figure in this story reflecting another redeemer that is to come. Boaz instructs Ruth. He hears about her work ethic. He hears about how she is. He hears about her character, which is another thing I could preach about, but this morning, go look for yourself, church. Who are you when no one else is watching? That's really who you are. Ruth was just being faithful when she thought no one was watching, and we find that someone was. Church, this is the, the, biggest, the biggest deception for us as Christians. We think that what we say or the songs we sing are what people are watching. If you are a jerk on Monday, that's what people see. They'll never follow Jesus, no matter how many scriptures you quote, because it is your life that is attractive your compassion, your heart, your ability to see the one everyone missed. That is what God has done for us. That is how we function. But I'm not gonna preach about that, church. We find here that Boaz, he is an image, just a shadow of the one who is to come. The redeemer that the Bible is, is painting a picture of, the shadow that is cast in the Old Testament of the one who is to come, who will provide more than we could ever, ever, ever need. The one who has, who has made a way, the one who says, stay in, remain in me and you will be protected. Remain in me and you'll find life. Boaz is a picture of that. Everything that is said to Ruth, we find that fulfillment in Christ's words. And when Jesus comes and says, hey, this is where you find life and life to the full. It is in me. I love this. That as Boaz instructs Ruth to stay in his field and not stray away and not find somewhere else to glean. We find, church, that is the instruction for us as followers of Jesus Christ, to remain in him, 
Where he is, there's true freedom, church. Where he is, there's protection. Where he is, there's enough food, there's enough water that we will never ever thirst again. That is where we find life in Christ. And the enemy has made such, has deceived us so much to think that life is found outside of Christ. And yet everything that Jesus does points to life. But let's carry on. God's promise. It's my last point. God's promise. We find in verse 19 and 20 that there's something greater at work here. When we see Ruth back at the first verse when Boaz comes into, into focus, Ruth has no idea. She has no idea who Boaz is, that he is their guardian redeemer. You'll find this phrase preached maybe over the next few weeks. He's a kinsman redeemer. That term is critical for many reasons. This kinsman redeemer was a cultural, it was a cultural practice where if a man in the family died and left a wife, children, or land, it was his responsibility to marry that widow and take up the land to protect that family, that this redeemer's job was to, was to stand there and say, you are now under my covering, and this is what Boaz is in this story. That he is the redeemer who says, you, you have lost, you have been alienated, but in me you find refuge. We find that these are Boaz's words, that I hope you find refuge in God, that this church is a promise, that this is the promise the Bible is making from Genesis until we land in Matthew, that God is saying, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the serpent with his feet, under his feet, we find that throughout, if you were reading the Bible in, 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 the, in, in, in the ancient times, you would look at this and you'd read Genesis and you'd be waiting to see who is this redeemer. And we find that this redeemer is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that this is the promise of salvation, the promise that God makes from Genesis and it is fulfilled in Jesus. This is it, this is the greater story. This is the answer that says there's hope. I love a church that sometimes we settle for so much less than what God has actually truly promised us. That we find that hope in, in Christ. We find that chapter two ends in stark contrast to how chapter one ends, that there is so much hope. There's so much more. There's a foreshadowing of the kingdom. And we can look back at that and we can look at that with joy and say even though judges, the time of judges was crazy and was messed up and people were doing what was right in their own eyes, this book is a, is a contrast to that. It says, but Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi lived in that time and God's promise continued. So much more, church. The kingdom, so much more. God is wanting to do so much more. Now, a few, like about a year ago, I was invited to speak somewhere and they said, you can bring your whole family. I checked my GPS and I found out that this place was not too far from Disney World. Ah, it just wasn't too far. It's like, ah, oh, free trip, my family can come. This is awesome. And in my mind, I was like, you know what? 
I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to go to Disney World. I don't know what I was saying. Like, I, as a dad, I, I knew it was crazy. But I was like, we're going to Disney. But I kept saying Disney. I didn't say Disney World. I kept saying Disney. My kids were going wild. Dad's going to take us to Disney. And before you think, how much do we pay these guys? The reality is, I was like, we're going to Disney. And um, my kids woke up one morning, uh, we stayed one night in a hotel just close, close enough to Disney. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe people wake up in the morning and be like, we don't want to go. Would you like our tickets? I'd be like, great. There's provision from the Lord. And it didn't happen. And so what, ha- what ended up happening was um, I told my kids, let's go. They wouldn't know the difference. Let's just go to Disney Springs. And so we took them to Disney Springs. If you've never been to Disney World, Disney Springs is the free mall outside of Disney World. And I took them. My kids were going wild. They were like, there's Elsa. But you know, they're only mannequins in Disney Springs. There's Elsa. I was like, yeah. And I'm like, there's a ride. And there was one ride in Disney Springs. It was a train that I could walk faster. I could walk faster than the train. But my children were like, we're in Disney. They were so happy. I was father of the year. We came back to Doylestown. They're like, Dad, Dad took us to Disney. I was like, shh, don't say that at church, though. You know what I mean? But they're like, Dad took us to Disney. And they were so happy until two months later, I get home, and my little daughter looks at me with the greatest disappointment in her eyes. And she says, I want to go to the real Disney. (laughs) And I was like, who snitched? Who is that? Which little kid in your class told you that Disney Springs is not Disney World? But here's the deal. She thought that Disney Springs was everything until some kid who had been to Disney World was like, you know what? The Elsa's where I went moved. (laughs) There were more rides. The kingdom. And I say this, church, to make this point is that Jesus came to show us that this stuff that we settle for in this world, it is, not, it is nothing compared to the kingdom. That everything we read in the Old Testament is showing us a shadow. It is Disney Springs. And then it turns and it says, and here's the kingdom. Here's the fullness of it. Here's what's worth waiting for. Here's what's worth giving our lives to. It is the kingdom. So as I close, I'll I'll say this, that this is God's promise fulfilled, that Jesus is the greater kinsman redeemer, that he is the greater Boaz, that no matter who you are in this room, you need that redeemer. That no matter who you are in this room, that Jesus is the only way. And that we find that even in this book, the beautiful elements that are uh, are even written in chapter two, all they're really trying to say is conclude, they're trying to conclude in Christ. This is who we're looking to. Better than Boaz, greater than Boaz, the fulfillment of the promise. This is everything. This is everything. All right, my last conclusion. I don't know if you feel like you're on the margins this morning. I don't know if you feel like the good news of the gospel doesn't apply to you. I don't know if you've ever truly walked in the fullness of what everyone, maybe you bump into people who have, who have encountered the love of God and you just do not understand how they have experienced this because you've disqualified yourself. I beg you to look at this passage of scripture and see this. 
that Boaz, this redeemer, is surrounded by two women who appear in Matthew chapter one. I don't want to dive into this too much this morning because we will preach about this more as we go on. But what have you identified as a point of disqualification in your life? Boaz's mom is Rahab, the prostitute. And here's another woman who comes into his life, and it's Ruth the Moabite. The Bible seems to always have a da something after it mentions these two women. Rahab the prostitute, Ruth the Moabite. But I love that in Matthew chapter one, when you read the genealogy of Jesus Christ, they no longer have a da in front of their names. They're just Rahab and Ruth. That all those identities have been absorbed by the cross of Christ and I don't know what da is in front of your name that disqualifies you this morning. Maybe you've put the rebel, the untouchable, the unlovable. Maybe you've put the, the, the continuous sinner, the failure, whatever it is, it is absorbed by Jesus Christ just as he absorbed these other identities in Matthew chapter one. It is just Ruth and Rahab. It is just Rob. It is just Rob, the child of God. That's what you are. Whatever's disqualified you is a lie from the enemy because in Christ, as you call out, if you've called out as Ruth called out, that this God, this living God, Yahweh, is my God. You too have been absorbed into this family and all those other identities have been, Christ has pushed them away and said, you're mine. This morning I asked church, If you haven't, if you've disqualified yourself, if you've put yourself on the margins, this morning, I encourage you not just to step out and go home and go to the giant and remember, but in fact, go to the giant and remember this as you walk through those doors, that your step of faith, it activates something. That your faith would be motion activated this morning Maybe you're straight far from God. As we take, we're about to take communion. As Josh comes up here and as we pray, church, I ask that you take a look at your heart and ask the living God. You say, Lord, this morning, I'm gonna take a step toward you. And if that preacher is telling the truth, if the, what he was reading in your word is the truth, Lord, I believe that you're going to meet me. Church, that our faith, that our faith too, would be motion activated. Let me pray. Lord, I I believe this morning that these are the words that you prepared for me to speak this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would move mightily, Lord, in ways that are beyond the words that were spoken today. And Lord, that you know our hearts, that you see us, that we're not hidden from you, that we're not too far gone, that we're not not without a hope, but we have you, Lord, and you are enough, more than enough. And so I pray this morning, Lord, as as we continue to worship, Lord, that you'd continue to soften hearts, 
that you would speak to us and that you would lead us closer to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Find out more about who we are and how you can plug in at covenantdoylestown.org.